Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. To see all of you here today, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, coming together to study God's Word, to worship uh, together this morning. And as always, just the worship team does such a phenomenal job of leading us, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, Next week... We are starting a new sermon series called God Is, where we are going to look at what the Bible says about who God is. To know God is almost an impossibility, but we can get a glimpse glimpse of who God is through his word, and we're going to take some time where we're going to walk through and look at the attributes of God and who exactly the God is that we serve. Today, though, is really a continuation of the thought from last week. Now, last week I had shared this idea of shipwrecked, and it was really a metaphor of what life is like. Today, we are going to look at the story of David and Goliath. Now, I know you're probably thinking you've heard a hundred sermons on David and Goliath. I'm not really concerned about the sermon itself or the story itself. The story is a metaphor of what life is. And in fact, I believe it's so accurate for today's events that we need to understand uh, it in comparison to today to, to be able to fight the battles that we're going to have to fight and to be able to walk forward the way that we are going to have to be able to walk forward. Last fall, I did a series called Endgame, where we looked at the end times events as Jesus talked about. If you have not been a part of that, I would encourage you to go back and watch those, because we are seeing the events unfold right before our eyes that Jesus talked about and said would happen. We have seen uh, one of the things, the main thing that he says is that the first sign of the end times will be deception. It will be a leading people astray. It will be a false teaching that's going to happen. Jesus says, many will come in my name and say that I am the Messiah. Now, what we learned from that was that many are going to come saying, I have the anointing of God or I am speaking on behalf of God, but they are leading people astray. I am very concerned with the state and the condition of the church today. And I'm not just talking about the state or condition of Journey Church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, because more and more churches are moving further and further away from the foundation of God. Instead of being anchored in the word of God, they have pulled up anchor and they are drifting on the winds and the waves and the currents of society. We have seen that just this past week or past couple of weeks where you saw in the Lutheran church that they have recognized the first bishop who is a transgender person to be the leader of 200 different churches in California. They are the second denomination that has done that. The Episcopal church is the first. It's not just 
those denominations, though, it is the evangelical churches even in our communities as well, not just in the United States, but even into the, the state of Wyoming, even to our local communities, churches have pulled up anchor from God's truth and are drifting away from God. And so I want to give you just a little bit of, a, of an analogy. I've, I've used this before, but I, I want you to get a picture of this. This stand, and I want you just to pretend that this stand is God. And I want you to pretend that this little iPod or iPad stand, let's just pretend that that's the world. So you have, you have God and you have the world. And then you have this little stool, and I want the stool to represent the church. When God established the church, the church was to be connected with God. Everything we get comes from God. He is the source of life. He is the fullness of life. He supplies everything that we need. We walk in closeness and in fellowship with him. We have forsaken the world and we follow the standards of God. This world is no longer our home. God is our home. Heaven and eternity is what we're looking forward to. And the church was connected to who God was. But over time, the church has gradually moved away from God and become closer and closer to the world. And the church can say, well, we are closer to God than you are, so therefore we're okay. But God looks at it and says, I could spit you out of my mouth because you have moved away from me. And that's the problem of churches today, that we have churches that have just moved away from the foundations and the truths of who God is. I want you to know, that Journey Church is not going to be, uh, it's not going to be for everybody. And I don't say that trying to drive you away. I say it just as a declaration of who we are going to be. Journey Church is going to be a church where we do not compromise the standards of God. Where we follow the standards of God with all of our heart. That that is more important. And I'm glad that some of you applaud that. But the standards of God are more important than anything that the world says. With that thought in mind and with the things that we're seeing and the ways that the church has moved more and more toward the world, we have to ask ourselves this question. And this is where this message out of this text comes from. And that is how do we stand up and face the things that are coming our way? How are we going to stand up against the things that are going to come here into these states? How do we stand up and fight for God? How do we face the battles and the giants that we have coming our way? And I was thinking about that thought as I've been on sabbatical, and I was thinking what that looks like and how that works, and it came to my mind this imagery of the story of David and Goliath. So we're going to look at that today. Next week, we'll get into the messages or the series of messages called God Is. But today, I want to look at and understand this metaphorical and literal story of how we stand up to the giants of our day. How do we stand up to what is coming our way? Let's pray as we begin. Father, we open this time up to you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to follow you, to be committed to you, to not back down or compromise your truth, that your truth is essential, and that we are committed to following it. Lord, help us to hear from you today. 
Help us to learn from you today about what we are to be like and how we are to stand up against the things that are, that are going to be uh, coming soon. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask for you to be our teacher, for you to direct our hearts, for you to convict our hearts, for you to encourage our hearts, and help us to walk in closeness and fellowship with you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, what I want to do is just walk through this story, and you can read the story, and then I want to describe, uh, take some time to describe um, some of the groups that we see take, uh, fighting in this battle, and then I want to talk about what it looks like to be one of those that stands up the way that David was going to stand up to Goliath. So I know you've heard this story before, but let's look at it again. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to be uh, reading from what's called the TLV version. That's the Tree of Life version. It's a uh, version that is... Uh closely tied to understanding of Hebrew. So you're going to see some words in there in Hebrew, but I will explain those when you see them. Here's what the word of God says, starting in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines assembled their armies to battle. They were gathered at Soka of Judah, and they camped, uh, they camped in Ephes Damon, between Soka and Ezekah. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then lined up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on the mountain on one side, and Israel was standing on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion stepped out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and a breastplate of scale armor. The weight of the bronze breastplate was 5,000 shekels. He also had a bronze shin guards on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer was marching ahead of him. In other words, this is a really, really, really big dude. That's all you need to know about that. He's just really big, really menacing, really powerful. This is who is coming against them. And then Goliath stood, and he shouted out to the ranks of Israel, and he said to them, Why come out to line up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine, and aren't you Saul's servants? Choose for yourselves a man, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then, I, then we will become your slaves. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then, then will you become our slaves and serve us? The Philistine added, today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man so we may fight together. But when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very terrified. For 40 days, that Philistine would come out every morning and evening to present himself. Upon seeing him, all the men of Israel fled from him in great fear. All the men of Israel were saying, have you seen this man who keeps coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. I want to tell you about the four groups of people, and this is how this message applies to us today, because the same four groups are found in our world today. Here are the four groups. Number one, 
Group number one that you encounter, you have encountered, you listen to them, you've heard them on the news, you hear them in news stories, you may even know some people like this. The first group are the hostile haters. Who are the hostile haters? Those are the people that outwardly reject God. They defy God. They beat their chests against God. They are openly anti-God, and they are openly anti-God's people. They are mocking. They are wicked. They are evil. They are in your face. Not only opposed to God, but they deny the very existence of God. It's a culture that mocks who God is and beats their chest of blaspheming God getting in God's face, getting in the people of God's face. These are the people in the groups that seem to have the loudest megaphones and the biggest audience. They seem to be the ones that get put on TV, on the news programs. They're the ones that even the news programs openly, openly are promoting. The anti-God, the hostile Haters, you may have people that you know in your life that are like this. Maybe you're married to a person who is who was a hostile hater of God. And because they hate God, they are opposing you, coming against you in varieties of forms. Maybe you're a student and you go to school with people that are like this. They are just openly hating who God is. Goliath was that person. He was a hostile hater of God and of God's people. He had a loud voice. He had a loud megaphone. He was shouting at the top of his lungs. He seemed massive. He seemed big. He seemed powerful. But think about this. Goliath was huge, but he was one amongst thousands in an army. It's usually a small percentage, by the way, of people that are hostile haters of who God is. But these few have the loudest voices in our lives. And if they can have their way, they will completely shut you down. If they have their way, they will completely destroy you. If they have their way, they will destroy any evidences of God in society. And so we have people among us that could fall into the category of hostile haters. There's a second group, and the second group, I would call them the calloused conformists. What are the callous conformists? Well, this is the Philistine army who stood with this hostile hater, Goliath. They just went along with whatever he said. Their hearts had become so cold and so hard and so calloused they weren't screaming at the top of their lungs, at least we don't have that reported, but they were openly standing with the group that was opposing and hating God. They give hearty approval. See, we have this group among us today. It is the majority of the world today. The majority of the world today are not in your face hostile toward God and hostile toward you. The majority of the world are calloused, hard-hearted, cold-hearted, and they are standing with the opposition. They may, not, they may not speak out loud, but they love it when, and they cheer it when the things of God get shouted down. The world falls into this category. 
Loving them is the answer, but it's not the kind of love that we are promoting today. It is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. Do you know that the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated was, yes, he surrounded himself with sinners. He surrounded himself with people who the society had rejected. But do you know that Jesus' love was tender, yet at the same time, his love was confrontational? Jesus did not pat them on the back and say, I'm proud of you and you can just live however you want to. Jesus openly said to them, I love you, but you have to change. I love you, but you're headed to hell. Today, in the world and in the church, the idea of loving people means just tolerate them and don't ever say anything. And it's kind of like this analogy that I've used before. If you see a car that's driving down a road, and you know that at the end of the road, the bridge is out, and there is a 50-foot cliff that they're going to go over, and you watch them drive down the road, what do you do? Out of love, do you just cheer them and wave some signs and some banners and say, I love you, and you just watch them drive over? Or is love this? Stop! You're going to go over the cliff. You're going to perish. You can't keep driving on this. Otherwise, you're going to die. That's loving confrontation the way that Jesus loved. Yes, he was kind. Yes, he was tenderhearted. But Jesus also set a standard, and he did not compromise the standard. And his love sometimes looked like confronting them. How do you deal with calloused, the calloused conformists that just go along with everything and whose hearts are hard? You love them in confrontation sometimes. Sometimes it's loving them in tenderness and care, but sometimes it's loving them with confrontation. The calloused The calloused conformists are the ones that turn their eyes and their backs when the hostile haters are coming against the different groups that they're going to come against. They're the ones that promote, jump on the bandwagon, and go along with giving hearty approval, like sheep who are just following along with wherever this hostile hater is taking them. There's a third group. And the third group is a concerning group because the third group is the Israeli army that was standing there. And the third group is what I would call the frozen fearful. The frozen fearful were the people and the army of God who were not willing to go to battle, who were not willing to fight. Yes, they put on the military equipment, but they didn't do anything with that. They just stood back and panicked. Why? Because they were scared of one guy. It's not that we're scared of the Philistine army. We're scared of the one guy. Well, get five of us together, we're going to take the one guy down. Get ten of us together, we're going to take the one guy down, and then we'll deal with the rest of the army. The frozen fearful have become the church of today who are afraid to say anything, who are afraid to stand up, who are afraid to confront what is going on. The frozen fearful stay quiet. The frozen fearful eventually start compromising on God's truth. 
The frozen fearful start pulling up anchor and they start drifting away from the rock of God's truth. Churches seem to be most often made up of the majority of people being the frozen fearful people. And I'm not saying that to try to to condemn us. I'm saying that to wake ourselves up. Because we can all fall into this category, me included. That we can easily become part of the frozen fearful that we are so scared of what is going on that we can't stand up against what we're seeing happen in our society. There was a fourth group. It was going to be a minority group. In fact, the fourth group will be made up of one person, and it's what I would call the daring disciples. You see what I did there? Same letter for all of those? Pretty creative, I know. Hostile haters, callous conformists, frozen fearful, daring disciples. Question's going to become, which one are we? Which group are you in? I'm assuming because you're here at church, you're not part of the hostile haters. If you are, then you are what's called a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm assuming that's not anybody in this room. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But in the church, we can easily fall into the calloused conformists, just conforming to whatever the majority says. We could fall into the frozen fearful, just afraid to take a stand, or we can fall into what's going to be known as the daring disciples. Let's look at what that is in the rest of the story. Picking it up in verse 31 of chapter 17. The words that David said were overheard and reported by Saul. Now, David was, he was not old enough to fight. He was a young kid. He was probably a early teenager-ish kind of kid. He was staying at home. He was the youngest son there at home with his father. He was sent by his father to the front lines to bring some food to his brothers and check on what was going on. David got there. He was, he was kind of in disbelief. How can you guys let this person mock you and mock God? Why isn't anybody doing something about this? Maybe I'm the one that should do something about this. The words that David said were overheard and reported before Saul. So David was taken to Saul. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you can't go fight this Philistine, for you're just a youth. You're a kid, and he's been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, me, he says, I have been tending my father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb out of its mouth. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I just really, is it, can you imagine, you guys have teenage kids, can you imagine your teenage son doing that, any of you? If they got off the video games long enough to do it, it would be a miracle. <laughs> if it rose up against me, David said, I grabbed him by its fur, <laughs> grabbed who? A lion or a bear by its fur, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. So this uncircumcised Philistine will become like one of them. Since he has defied the ranks of the living God. Then David said, Adonai, 
The Lord, who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul clothed David with Saul's own attire, his own garb. He put a bronze helmet on David, clothed them in armor. David strapped his sword on his garment and tried to walk, but he was not used to it. So David said to Saul, I I can't walk in these things, for I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the valley, and put them in the pocket of the shepherd's bag that he had, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine drew nearer and approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. Now when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was just a ruddy boy with a handsome appearance. Then the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me so I may give you your flesh, give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you are coming to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I am coming to you in the name of Adonai Zavot, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, Adonai will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and take your head off you, and I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' camp today to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth." Then all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And so all this assembly will know that Adonai delivers not with the sword and the spear, for the battle belongs to Adonai. And he will give you into our hands. Then when the Philistine rose and began to advance, drawing near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took from it a stone, and slung it, striking the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine down, and killed him. He then went on to behead him and do exactly what he had said he would do. I've heard all kinds of sermons on this message, and I've heard people try to use the analogy of what the stones represented that he, he flung, I, all kinds of stuff that I have heard. I'm not really concerned with any of that. What I want to know today is just this simple question. In fact, I came up with four questions that were a result of just thinking about this story. Questions number one and number two are these. How did David stand up to the giant of his day? That's question number one. And number two is, and how do we stand up to the giants of our day? That's all I'm concerned about. What was it about David that allowed him to stand up and be a daring disciple instead of one of the frozen fearful When everybody else was panicked, why did David, with courage, stand up and fight the battle that needed to be fought? Well, there are four things that a daring disciple has or needs. Four things that you and I are going to need if we are going to face the battles that are coming our way. Number one, David had, beyond anything else, David had conviction. What is conviction? The word conviction means literally to be convinced of something. 
David was convinced of what? He was convinced that God would deliver him. David said, I am coming in the name of God himself. Adonai Zavot. I am coming in the name of the Lord. I am coming in his name. I am convinced of the fact that he will deliver me. I am convinced of the fact that the earth will know there is a God because of what's going to happen here today. Conviction is what puts steel into your spine. Too many Christians are lacking conviction. When you have conviction, your anchor will be driven firmly into the bedrock of God. When you lack conviction, you will drift wherever society takes you. Are you full of conviction on who God is? Are you convinced that he is God and God alone? Are you convinced that he is the creator? Are you convinced that it's his plan of redemption? Are you convinced that Jesus is truly the Messiah? The one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Are you convinced that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Are you convinced that he rose again on the third day? Are you convinced that he ascended into heaven and that he will one day return for his church? Are you convinced? Are you convinced of the words of Jesus that they are true? When you are convinced and have conviction, you will stand up and never compromise that conviction. Sadly, too many are not convinced. And when you're not convinced, you become part of the calloused conformists or the frozen fearful. The ones that are truly convinced are the ones that will stand up and fight the battle that needs to be fought. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, he says this. He says, now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the good news which I proclaim to you. You also received it and you took your stand on it. And by it, you are being saved. If you hold firm to the word I proclaimed to you, unless you believed without proper consideration. For I also passed on to you, first of all, what I also received. That Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive today, though some have died. Then he appeared to, to John, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul says, I am so convinced that I will go to prison for this. I am so convinced I will lose my life for this. I am so convinced I don't care what happens to me. I will not back down. I will not compromise. I will fight because I am convinced. David had conviction. He had steel in his spine that helped him to stand up believing what God had said. David also had courage. We need churches to be filled with people who have courage. 
one more chapter over. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Do you know that one of the most famous phrases in the Bible that happens time and time again is the phrase that says, do not be afraid. Do not be frightened. Joshua 1.8, Joshua records these words. He says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. We need to be people not only full of conviction, but full of courage who will stand up when we see things that are anti-God. Instead of cowering away in frozen fear, we will stand up and say, no, this is not right, and I will not go along with this. But not only do we need courage, we also need the ability to have critical thinking. What do I mean by critical thinking? Critical thinking is this, think for yourself, do not go along with the herd. Do not just believe it because the media says it. Do not believe it because politicians say it. Do you know, I don't know, this is going to be a shock to you, I'm sorry to shock you in this way, but did you know that politicians lie all the time? Did you know that? I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Did you know that the media lies Did you know that the CDC lied? Did you know that the World Health Organization lied? Do you know that all of these pundits lie? And then they come along and say, well, just trust us. Just trust us. Really. Anybody with critical thinking skills can turn around and say, wait a second. This is is not right. This is not true. This is not okay. Critical thinking goes along with having the wisdom of God. Our society is made up of two types of people, it seems. We are made up of reactors and responders. Reactors are people that jump on the bad wagon and react out of emotion immediately. Do you know that most causes today are reactionary? Everything in society is a reaction to an event that happens. Reaction is out of emotion. Reaction is out of the flesh. Reaction is anti-God in its nature. We are to be responders. What do responders do? Responders think. They wait. They seek God. And they ask for the wisdom that comes from above. And when you get that kind of thing from God, you're able to respond with godly direction rather than react in a worldly way. We have to have critical thinking. Finally, we have to have conscience. The conscience in theology is the aspect of the human psyche that reflects God's moral image. The conscience is what God speaks to about his morality and his ideas. We are led by the Holy Spirit. We are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are to have a good conscience. Second Peter chapter three, or first, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter three says, have a good conscience. Paul warns Timothy in chapter 4 of the, first, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, and he says, avoid those who have a seared conscience. They have a seared conscience. 
In other words, they have taken what God has, has put into them and they have seared it. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so in order to stand up the way David stood up against what was going on in his society, he needed to have conviction and courage and critical thinking and conscience. Today, when we face the things that we are going to be facing, the things that are going to be coming our way, we have to be full of the same things. So questions one and two that I came up with were, how did David do this? How are we supposed to do this? Questions three and four are these. First one is this, where are the Davids of our day? And number four that I don't have on the screen is just a personal challenge, and it's this, will you be a David? Are you going to be one of the Davids who will stand up with conviction with courage, with critical thinking, with the conscience of God and say, I will battle in the name of the Lord. He is with me and the whole earth will know that he is God. I want to close with this and I've used this before, but I, I love sneaking this into a sermon anytime that I can because it's so encouraging to my heart. Um, Many of you have seen this. Some of you probably haven't, but there was a young, uh, there was a young pastor, a, a young um, missionary, a young pastor in Zimbabwe, and he was martyred for his faith. And in his desk drawer, uh, Louise Robinson Chapman, who was a veteran missionary to Africa in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, um, she found this note in his drawer. Now, we don't know a lot of the story behind it, but she published the words of this young pastor who was martyred for his faith. Let these words be the encouragement of your soul, because these are the words of David's today in our society. Here's what it says. He writes this, before he was martyred, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. In other words, I hear him saying, I am done with being part of the frozen fearful. I am no longer, I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I lift by prayer and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way rough. My companions few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of the popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up 
until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Are you a part of the hostile haters? Are you a part of the callous conformists? Are you a part of the frozen fearful? Or are you a daring disciple who will stand up for God's truth, never backing down, never compromising, never worrying and being full of fear no matter what comes your way? We need students in school who will be that. We need teachers and administrators who will be that. We need people working in the public sector who will be that. We need families at home that will be that. We need parents to teach their children to be that. We need preachers to preach that. We need people who will stand up and say, that will be me. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be the people of God, even though we may be full of fear at times, that we will stand up for your truth, that we will stand up and follow your direction, that we will stand up and follow your word, that we will not compromise or back down on your standards, that we will not negotiate on your standards, that we will follow you with all of our heart. Your word is true. Your word is right. Your word has given us the standards of life. And I pray, Father, when we face the battles the way that David faced this battle, as we face those same types of battles in our day-to-day lives, that we would have courage and conviction, that we would think critically and be led by the Holy Spirit who speaks to our conscience. We thank you for the time that we could spend together today. Now be with us as we leave. Encourage us as we go through this week and help us to turn to you every step of the way. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.